And it's not just a song about a fictitious person. It's not a song about things we wish were true. It's a real person. Let's talk to him. Lord Jesus, what a privilege is ours to speak to you in prayer. Even when we are struggling to believe, even when we wonder whether you will answer, you are there and you are good and faithful. And today, Lord, you'll take us through your word to a disastrous afternoon in the life of your disciples. Teach us what you want us to learn. Help us understand the lesson that you wanted to teach them in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Glad you all came. Have you ever put yourself in the hands of an expert, did everything they asked you to do, and had it go wrong anyway? It's kind of an unsettling experience. It happened to me the first time I ever remember being in the hands, literally, of experts and having a lot of trouble for it came when I was 14 years old. A uh, way of confession that will immediately, by way of confession that will immediately put me at odds with some of you, I should tell you, because of what happened, I pretty much hate the game of baseball, okay? Don't gather your stuff to leave, okay? It's based in a terrible experience. It's nothing against the game itself. It's just something that happened to me when I was in that wonderful season of life known as your freshman year in high school. Remember those days, some of you? Invincible, indestructible, whole life ahead of you kind of thing? Well, I, for a single year, I grew up in Mexico, and I always went to, to the local schools, except for one year, I was in a school set up by American missionaries for the children of missionaries. And for ninth grade only, I was there. It was a great school, and they had a really nice music program, and I was in the choir, and no need to name names. It wasn't, well, it was his fault. He just didn't mean it, okay? I had a very talented choir teacher who was not so talented on the baseball diamond. And they had this thing where they were going to have a faculty versus students softball game. I knew nothing about the game. The first time I heard it was softball, I thought, well, that doesn't sound so bad, right? The ball is soft. As it turns out, it's just bigger and still hard as a rock. That was my level of expertise with the game, but they, I ended up playing first base for the students. And this big, clumsy lummox, I'll justify those adjectives in just a second, big, clumsy lummox of a choir teacher who was good in the choir room, not so good on the field, hit a slow roller over toward third, and I'd watched enough baseball and played occasionally in the sandlot with my friends. I knew that the kid at third was no better than I was at first, so I did what I saw the Dodgers doing on TV. I stretched for the throw, right? Got my left leg on the bag, stretching forward, and here comes this big, ponderous man, and he thundered down the base path, and instead of stepping on the bag, he stepped on the back of my ankle. I'm 14, he's the size of a house, he snaps my ankle in two, I mean, seriously, uh, everything rotated over so that the knot on the inside of my leg rolled all the way over and joined the one on the outside of my leg. And I was in the hands of amateurs. How do I know this? Not a drop of ice was provided. What I was provided was a seat in 95-degree sunlight. And they said, it's just swollen. It's just a sprain. I said, it hurts like nothing I've ever experienced in my life. They said, that's totally normal. Sprains are much more painful than fractures. You're fine. We're going to finish the game. And they finished the game. 
Then, finally, they took me to the experts. We made a little detour to the Red Cross. Guy came out, squeezed twice, and said, does this hurt? I screamed. I didn't answer. I screamed. And then he said, the x-ray machine is broken. You'll have to go to the hospital. I don't know why he felt he had to squeeze my leg. Maybe they were paying him and then sadistic thrills. I don't know. <laughs> but finally, after being in the hands of amateurs on the ball field and apparently an amateur or maybe a guy who just wandered in off the street at the Red Cross, I finally got to a private hospital and I was told one of the city's most renowned orthopedic surgeons was going to take it from there. He actually did an amazing job. Everything works, okay? I'm fine. It's never hurt since. But that night, I woke up screaming because whoever did the casting did it much too tight. And when my ankle swole just the tiniest little bit, my toes turned purple, and I woke up screaming for mother. I was not ashamed at 14 years old to <laughs> scream for mom and her compassionate ways rather than my father's more practical ways um, to come to my rescue. That's the first time I'd ever put myself in the hands of a legitimate expert and have everything go wrong. He didn't intend it, obviously, but that's how it worked out. Has it ever happened to you? It happened to the disciples in the Gospel of Luke. Look with me in Luke chapter 8. If you don't have your Bible with you, there should be one near you. And you'll need it. I'll, I'll, this is a very short story, but I want to show you some other things in this same gospel. Luke chapter 8. Let me just drop you right into the middle of the story. Jesus has done the extraordinary works of God Himself right in front of His disciples. And now they're all in. As I'll show you in a little bit in the Gospels, he's walked beside fishermen doing an extraordinary miracle, so much so that it made them fearful, it made them awed of what he could do. He told those men to follow him, and they literally dropped the nets and started following Jesus. On another occasion, he went by the tax collector's table and said to Matthew, you come with me, and that man walked away from his job in that moment. All the disciples are called now. These are the men who are going to get better training than John Voe did for me. Jesus is going to teach them things and in short order going to send them out. He too is going to leave them at occasions to work on their own and come back to him and tell him how it's going. But these are the guys. Luke wrote another companion piece to his gospel called the book of Acts where you're going to read the lives of some of these disciples and they're going to be extraordinary for Jesus. They're the reason we're here 2,000 years later on this side of the world. They were faithful, but today, on this day, on the Sea of Galilee, they're still learning. Luke 8, verse 22. One day, he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. Now, it's a quick story. Most Bible stories are. There's usually not much detail in them. They're not overly dramatic. Sometimes they have dramatic things in them, but the storytelling is simple and factual and historical. Look at this first verse. Who's, who's running the show here? Who's in charge? Jesus is. A carpenter is telling his disciples several of them commercial fishermen, 
Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. Now, what's going on here? Well, on two occasions, I've been with some of you to Israel, and we've been to the Sea of Galilee. Once you see it, and we're going back in October, if you're still interested and still have some margin in your life where you could go with us, make every effort to do so. It's a life-changing experience. Once you see the Sea of Galilee, you understand how easily Jesus might have gone to sleep. In good conditions, it is one of the most peaceful, beautiful places, and this is 2,000 years ago. It's pristine. I've been on a modern boat on the Sea of Galilee twice. It's one of those things you just have to do as a tourist when you go to Israel. And the waves lapping up against that boat, if I look at the life of Jesus as recorded in the Gospels, He's always busy. He is continually being pressured by people outside of Him. Everywhere He goes, a crowd forms. He teaches the Word of God with the authority of God Himself, and sometimes He's interrupted by demon-possessed men who start shouting at Him. He literally can't have a quiet moment until He deliberately goes off to the wilderness alone to pray. So it's not surprising to me that Jesus, the Son of God, who is also a complete human being to step into our experience and take our place, falls asleep on the Sea of Galilee, and when Jesus is asleep, that's when the trouble starts. It says, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water, and Luke says, he's writing this to a friend of his named Theophilus. Luke, in this quick little story, wants Theophilus to get the picture. He actually goes out of his way to write these words, they were in danger. What's going on here? First thing this story tells me, it's very, very important. You can do exactly what Jesus says and still get in trouble. That may seem obvious to some of you. That may be surprising to some of you. Let me explain. There's a bad strain of Bible teaching that primarily started in the United States that sounds roughly like this. You're pretty good. Get Jesus on board in your life and life's going to be awesome. Healthy, wealthy, good-looking, perfectly behaved, 1.5 children, you know, the American average, or 2.5, I don't remember, but whatever you want, Jesus is the path to the American dream. Just come, bring Him into your life, and your life and His plans are going to be wonderful and easy, and every day will be a great adventure. And then you get out into the real life. And you find yourself in storms, and you begin to ask yourself all kinds of terrible questions. Look at verse 24. It says, and they went and woke him. Now, that's pretty fascinating to me, because the storm is sufficient to put them in danger, and these men are on their home waters, the fishermen. Men like Peter and John know these waters well. They've made a very nice living, apparently plying these waters and fishing these waters, and unexpectedly a storm is upon them, and it still happens in the Sea of Galilee. You see, the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level, and there's a very high mountain peak just to its north, and what that means is for about six months a year, conditions are perfect for wind to shoot through those gorges, collide with the warm water over the lake, and just in a moment, you can go from a picture postcard to real danger. And he's in charge. This was his idea. 
They've been doing exactly what Jesus wants, and they still find themselves in a great deal of trouble. And if you're ever going to follow Jesus for life, you need to understand, and I personally need to remember that I can do everything that Jesus asks, and my life can still be difficult. I can still find myself afraid. I can still find myself heartbroken. And what's Jesus doing through this whole thing? Did you notice? He's sleeping. He must have been deeply, deeply tired. Look at verse 24. They went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And little wonder they felt this way. See these pylons on the stage? That's the size of the boat. Another thing you can find in Israel is an archaeological find, precious beyond imagination, called the Jesus boat. On the Sea of Galilee, they found a fishing boat that dates specifically from the time of Jesus. It was exactly the kind of craft they would have been in, and it's only this big. And if the full contingent of disciples are with Jesus, how many guys does that make? That's 12 plus him. They don't have a crew because they have commercial fishermen aboard, but as you can see, 13 guys in a boat this size with first century technology, it's not great. There's no Coast Guard. There's no life vests. There's no one to call for help. And they're starting to take on water, and here's what happens in the storm. The trouble with storms is they make you believe all kinds of lies. Did you hear what they said to Jesus? Look in your Bible. Master, Master, we are what? We're perishing. I wonder what Peter thought. Because remember, Peter's a fisherman. Who gave the instructions to go to the other side? What was Jesus? What was his line of work? He's a carpenter. A fisherman is following a carpenter's direction to sail. He's doing what the carpenter wants. He's all in. They've left the nets. They've walked away from family and from vocation. They're doing what Jesus wants. And as the storm begins to overcome them, and Peter and John are looking at each other and shouting to each other and doing all that they can in their professionalism to save the craft and to save themselves. At a certain point, out of fear, they overcome embarrassment. And I read a little accusation in the way they talk to him. Master, master, in other words, you're in charge. You got us into this. What's happening to all of us? We're dying. This is such an important miracle. It's in actually in three Gospels. And in the Gospel of Mark, the question, this, what they rouse him with is actually phrased as a question, and it sounds like this, don't you care that we're dying? Somebody will say, well, I don't understand why there's two versions. Well, suffice it to say, I doubt they had a calm meeting and it appointed a spokesperson to walk to the other side of the boat and get his attention. What's happening here? Everybody's shouting. And this is the trouble with storms. They're in a physical storm, but maybe you've been in the kind of unexpected, sudden, threatening storm, and as far as you can tell, you've done everything that Jesus asked, and, in, and still the storm is upon you, and it's made you wonder, and it's made you believe some lies. What kind of questions do you ask yourself? What kind of lies are you tentative to believe in storms? Well, same kind of questions I had about the orthopedic surgeon. Doesn't this man have any idea what he's doing? 
he's surely done this before. Surely it's not part of the plan to make a kid scream in pain so he has to go back to the hospital in the middle of the night. Doesn't he know what he's doing? I talked to somebody after the first service who's a very godly, mature man who's been through some things in the specific service of Jesus who honestly told me something I understand. When you find yourself in the storm, it makes you question everything, and it may even make you believe all kinds of lies about everything. What do you question? You question yourself. Did I misunderstand Jesus? I thought this was supposed to be smooth sailing. Is he really here? Does he really care? Will he ever show up and do anything about it? Have I completely misunderstood the direction? Can he really be trusted? I think all of that is implicit in what's running through these disciples' minds. And I want you to see Jesus' response, and I want to ask you a pretty hard question. They went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Now remember, this actually happened. Don't read it as a hallmark, feel-good story. Read it as history. Try to imagine yourself there. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. What did he do now? He spoke to nature. He awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. Can you imagine? If you want to get a full idea, maybe it's a beautiful day in Huntington Beach. It's not a stormy day, but go out on the pier and try this. Stand on the other side of Ruby's, and maybe for dramatic effect, raise one hand and say, Oh, mighty Pacific, stop. And say it again and again and see what happens. Somebody will be there to help you eventually, right? The Coast Guard, and, the Coast Guard in this town and uh, the lifeguard service is really, really good. They'll come and, and take you away at a certain point. And you don't expect the Pacific to stop because it, it doesn't. That's the terrifying thing about sailing. You're dealing with forces that are literally beyond your understanding. And any storm in life, has the capacity to crash into any Christian's life and make him question everything and believe lies about everything. But Jesus, calm as ever with the authority of the Son of God who made the wind and who made the waves, gets up in the boat, speaks to the wind and the waves because He owns them, He made them. It's nature to us. It's creation to us. This is the Creator speaking to His creation, and He says simply, stop. Enough. Be quiet. And they are, immediately. And this supernatural, otherworldly calm comes immediately across the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples dripping wet, pouring the sopping wet hair out of their eyes, their garments dripping, the boat sloshing with water, look up into a world around them that is suddenly calm. And Jesus asked them a question. And this is the dynamite in the story. This is why this story is in the Gospels three different times. He said to them, where is your faith? Now, here's the question for you. You think He's being hard on them? I've wrestled with that for over a week because he's sleeping. (laughs) 
If you read the story as simply as it is, his first sign of trouble was one of them panicked, shaking him, waking him, saying, we're dying here. Maybe somebody else crying, hey, don't you care? You've brought us into trouble. Master, master, we are perishing. You're in charge. We're dying here. There's not even a request. In Mark's gospel, there's, a, there's an accusatory question. You're dying. Don't you care? He stands up and takes care of it just like that with the word, stop. And like no child has ever obeyed you, and like nature never will, there's calm and there's peace. And he turns to them and says, Where's your faith? See, here's the thing with storms, church. God will direct you sometimes directly into storms and sometimes send storms into your life unbidden and uninvited by you. And the beautiful thing about the storm is the opportunity the storm offers for all of its terror and for all of its pain is it affords you an opportunity to know something about Jesus that you never would have known before the storm started. Look at them cope. Verse 25, he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, notice, they've had a meeting somewhere else in the boat. They're afraid. Of course they're afraid. Nobody could ever imagine anything like this. If you actually did this on the pier with me standing beside you, I would quite naturally be afraid of you. If you could speak to the Pacific Ocean and make the tides stop, we might not be friends anymore because I would be freaked out. They were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Let me take you back to the question. Do you think he's being hard on them? Let me show you what they've known about Jesus. Turn back in your Bible, please, with me to Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus is calling his first disciples the first disciples he calls, he calls on the authority of a miracle. He tells them to go fishing, basically at the wrong time and in the wrong way. And Luke 5, verse 5 says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, because that's when you fish in that place and in those days, at night. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Are you getting the picture? They've gone from striking out to nearly sinking two fishing boats. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. What came next? They saw Jesus cleanse a leprous man with a word. 
They saw Jesus forgive the sins of a man who is completely paralyzed and then to prove that he alone had the authority to forgive sin and to do what only God can do, he gave him his mobility, his life, and his strength back. In chapter 6, Jesus heals a man with a withered hand. Then he calls all of the apostles. He preaches in chapter 6 as no man ever has. He tells them at the end of chapter 6 that if anyone listens to him, they will be saved. Otherwise, their life will be a complete ruin. In chapter 7, he heals a Roman soldier's servant from a great distance at his mere word. And at the end, perhaps the most notable miracle to this point, he brings a widow's son back from the dead. And he's done all this. And by the time you get to Luke chapter 8, they're still asking themselves this hard question. Who is this? Why does God direct storms? Why does God direct and allow storms in our life? Because storms teach us something about Him that we otherwise wouldn't have known. See, all the miracles that the disciples had witnessed to this point had never really threatened them. The commercial fishing boats were about to sink in that first miraculous catch, but that was a good thing. They were bringing a fortune to shore. Jesus was saying, I'm in charge of this lake. I can be in charge of your lives. And they dropped their nets and followed. Then they watched him do everything that God can do. But never in their lives had they been personally threatened. And when that storm came into their life, they said to themselves, apparently, we're dead. There's nothing he can do. And I've heard some heartbreaking stories after every service this weekend. I'm really heart-wrenching stuff where not one person in the world, certainly no pastor can help, that only Jesus himself showing up and being himself, doing what Jesus does, can help the people that are telling me some of these stories. You need to understand the answer to this question, who is this, is he is God himself in the boat. There is no one like him. His faithfulness, His love, and His mercy are matched only by His absolute sovereign power over everything. It would be too much to ask of these soaked, frightened disciples in this moment, but maybe later in the synagogue they were reminded of some of their own scriptures. Look in Psalm 89. In fact, read this with me. This is out of their Bibles, what we call the Old Testament. A thousand years before Jesus walked the earth, here's Israel singing and speaking to God. Read this with me. Look what it tells us about God. It says, O Lord God of hosts, who is as mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you? You rule the raging of the sea, and when its waves rise, you still them. Who controls the waters? God does, with His faithfulness all around Him. Look in Psalm 107. This is a very long psalm, and it talks about people in all kinds of different trouble, including, in this case, sailors. And if you've ever been in a storm and the kind that knocked you around, these first words will make sense to you. It says, they reeled and staggered like drunken men. I've only been in a storm one time, spent the entire day seasick, and that was my experience. As calm as it was, I hated it because I couldn't take one safe step under my own power. 
Whatever was going on underneath that boat, it could knock me around like a rag doll. That's this experience in the Psalms. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and He, God, brought them to their desired haven. Here's what God wants to come out of the storm once He brings you through it. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. Who is Jesus? What kind of man is this? God Himself, the only one who can be trusted. What's the point of this story, church? Simply to tell you this. If you're with the one who's in charge of everything, you don't need to be afraid of anything. I must not be transparent and honest enough because after both services so far, everybody, I've had several people ask me, is this hard for you? Here's the answer. Absolutely. Every storm forces on me questions that I thought I'd already answered. Does that make sense to you? Sometimes it's the same storm time after time after time, and it just doesn't go away. It's the kind of storm that isn't quick and violent. It just camps on top of you and won't stop. Other times it's an unexpected suffering that hits you like a bolt out of the blue. Is that hard for me? Absolutely. Especially when it's new territory. Especially when it's an area in which God has not tested me and I have not trusted Him. Yes, it's exceedingly hard for me in that moment. And I've struggled with the question because I can put myself in that boat and I can hear Jesus who has shown me more actually than He's shown His disciples at this point say to me, Bruce, where's your faith? Think about this. What kind of faith was he calling them to? What were they worried about? Where should their faith have been? In him. You see, when they say, Master, Master, we're perishing, and someone shouts it as an accusatory question, don't you care that we're about to die? Their fear is, including the fishermen, I can't believe it. We're drowning today. This is the end. And they couldn't have been more mistaken. Because Jesus brought them through this storm and they're going to be amazed by something, He's not going to drown to death. He's actually determined to be crucified. You see, He's not going to die with them. He's actually going to die for them. And that's the part I need to remember. Jesus is in charge of everything. And though He is in charge of everything in the universe, He has decided to go into the storm for me at the cost, at the literal cost of His own life. And He's taken fear, if I can only stay focused on Him and trust Him, He's taken the sting of fear away. So as a fellow struggler, here's some very simple and practical suggestions, reminders to me of how I go through storms when I'm surprised and I'm asking myself the hard questions. First of all, look beside you. Because in that storm, Jesus is with you right now. That's not preacher rhetoric, it's His promise. Remember at the end of the Gospels? He's going to regather this man after His resurrection. He's going to give them what Bible students call the Great Commission. 
the mandate to go and make disciples. He's going to tell them to go into every nation and teach people to follow Him and to be baptized and to continue to teach them everything that Jesus taught the disciples in the first place. And at the end, He made a promise. Do you remember what it is? He said, and look, I am with you always. You may be in the storm, but you'll never be alone in it. For the first thing I try to do is to look right beside me. Jesus has promised not to keep my life free of the storm, but to be in it with me. Then I try to look not only beside me, I try to look behind. I try to look behind me. And this is why the disciples' faith faltered. They forgot what Jesus had done in the past. They forgot, the fishermen forgot that anyone who could command a miraculous boat sinking catch into their nets in a moment at the wrong time of day could certainly take care of the water and the waves and the wind. What has Jesus done for you in the past? If you're a believer, understand this, He died for you. He faced the final and the most fearful enemy of all, which is your physical death, the great thing that every person on earth is so terrified of, the thing that we take the most measures against. He went ahead for you to death, faced it for you, died in your place so that He could keep another promise. He said in the Gospel of John, because I live, you also will live. And then I want to try to remember, once I've seen Jesus beside me and remembered Jesus and His faithfulness and His cross behind me, I want to look ahead. Because literally the very next story, and I can't wait to share it with you next weekend, Jesus is going to have the most fearful encounter with evil the disciples and the gospels have told us so far. They're going to get safely to the other side because Jesus has work to do and He wants to show the disciples something that they would never forget, that He's in charge of everything, including sin and death and even demons. So if you're alive today and you have Jesus beside you and Jesus has gone before you, you don't need to be afraid of anything because He's in charge of everything. Over a hundred years ago, one of the greatest... Christians to ever write in the English language was going through a tough time. Andrew Murray is his name. He wrote some wonderful devotional books, including probably his most well-known book is called With Christ in the School of Prayer. Murray was going through suffering. He had one of the worst storms that can ever come on a human being. He had a very, very painful, chronic, long-lasting back injury. He was staying in someone else's house seeking comfort, and because he was such a notable godly man, a woman in great trouble came to where he was staying and asked to see him. He couldn't meet her because of the pain he was in, but he wrote this and gave it to his hostess. Murray wrote, give her this advice I'm writing for myself. It may be that she will find it helpful. And here's what he wrote. In times of trouble, say... First, He brought me here. It is by His will that I am in the present crisis. In that I will rest. Next, say, He will keep me here in His love, and He will give me grace in this trial to behave as His child. Then say, He will make the trial a blessing, teaching me lessons He intends me to learn and working in me the grace He means to bestow. And last, say, 
In His good time, He can bring me out again. How and when, He knows. Therefore say, I am here by God's appointment, in God's keeping, under His training, and for His time. Andrew Murray knew all about storms. Listen, you can't control the storm. You can only trust the one in charge of it. This is the invitation of discipleship. The disciples lost their faith in Jesus in the storm. And this is the danger of storms. If you don't trust Jesus, you have to deal with the storm in your own strength. If you don't trust Jesus, you're at the mercy of the storm itself. Instead, God has spoken and acted in history, putting Himself literally on a Roman cross to die for your sins so that you would know that whatever life has for you and wherever God guides you, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how careful, conscientious, and obedient you've been, you will be engulfed from time to time by storms, but in all of those storms, He's in charge. So you don't need to be afraid. Let's pray. Could I invite you to talk to Jesus about this stuff? I'm going to be quiet in just a minute, but I wonder what kind of storm you're in. So heartbreaking to hear stories after church of real storms in the lives of fragile people. Would you talk to him about it? Can you hear him asking again, where's your faith? The only wise thing these disciples did in the whole story was cry out to Jesus. They were scared. They were, they were terrified, really. They were ignorant and they were forgetful. The storm does all of those things. It makes us stupid. It makes us forgetful. It makes us panic. But they did one wise thing. They cried out to the one in charge. And you can do the same. And maybe you're here this morning and you've been hanging around Jesus and you've been close to trusting Him, but you can't quite give up on yourself. You're in the storm and to this point your idea has been to keep fighting, to stay on the ropes, to keep working the sails, to keep fighting at the helm. May I suggest to you as a fellow struggler that the point of that storm is to make you cry out to Jesus and give up and be saved. See, Jesus endured the wrath of the cross, God's judgment, so that you never would have to, so that you can only have mercy, and so that He can go with you, and He can have good work ahead of you. Trust Him if you haven't. Give up. Surrender, not to Him, not to the church, not to religious teaching, certainly not to someone like me. Surrender to Jesus. Be saved this morning. If only you'll turn from your sin and turn yourself over to the one in charge, he'll take care of everything. Lord, I pray for those, I know there's families right here, right in front of me, and they're struggling, Lord, to move your word from a story long ago into their present experience. Would you speak, Lord, to them? Would you give them calm and peace and direction? Would you show them yourself dying from the cross and coming back from the dead to give them life? Would you let them look ahead in hope? And in all of it, Lord, would you let them please see you beside them, keeping them safe, 
in your love with your faithfulness, as your word says, all around you. Lord, for those who are in the storm, let them call out to you and see that you're in charge. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.